Well, let me thank you guys all for coming. Um, I have a few new faces, so I'm just going to like give you kind of a sort of what we do here. Um, this is all designed for us to try to get very close to God on a very intimate level, one-on-one. Um, it's generally very calm and serene, um, allowing time for us to just walk into the presence of God without a lot of show or stuff that distracts us, but just taking the time to truly find God. And when we first started this, it was a bit difficult at times for us to be able to enter into that place because we're so used to being forced to go into there. And um, my husband and I, you know, God really has dealt with us, I believe, in this because it has been amazing when you go for God and you keep pushing until you meet him instead of you sitting back expecting him to give you something that our aim is to fight for him, to run after him, and then we know that he's gonna show up in our lives. He's gonna show up in this room. The more you push yourself, even when it gets uncomfortable, because a lot of times it'll be silent for a moment, and in church we're not really used to silence. It's like somebody always has to hit a tambourine or do a drum beat or do something to just make some noise because silence sometimes can be very frightening. But we have learned that through the silence, you get a profound, ah, I don't even know the word, but a profound something with God. I have a lot to say, so I'm going to try to say it very quickly. I got a little carried away in my typing, so I'm going to do my best to really stick to the script and not run off with the mouth, because I have a problem with that sometimes. So it seems like a lot, but you really can gaze a lot into this. Our whole aim is really just to, for us to peer into the word of God, for us to really be taught what the scriptures actually say, and for us to glean what it means for our lives. So that is our aim and the effort, and this time I'm going to talk about the whole armor of God, okay? So my aim tonight really is to encourage us to fight. We have the ability to fight Satan's devices. We have the ability to be strong and sure in our walk with God until we reach heaven. My motivation has become to live in this ultimate peace that God says we can have, that peace beyond understanding, that unspeakable joy, healing, joy, strength, to have a life that I'm living now that is more than the abundant, the craziness that we can't even imagine our lives being. But he said we could live like this here on earth now. I just want to see what that's like. So I'm willing to go through whatever it takes to see that right here and now. I want, and I hope this doesn't sound bad, but um, I think we have put so much emphasis on heaven and hell that we miss the life that we must live to get to heaven and to miss hell for that fact. We miss all the promises that he wants us to have here and now on earth. Because if I live within his promises and I take heed to his warnings, heaven is a guarantee. And I have no reason to really fear hell. He's going to come for me, us, whenever he gets ready. So I don't really have to be overly preoccupied with my ending 
if I'm living in his purpose right now, if I'm in his path, if I'm doing all that he intended for me to do, then there is a guarantee that I'm going to be in heaven. And that's not to, I hope you don't think I'm trying to minimize heaven because that's not what my point is. But my point is for us to gain it here on earth because there's something we must be living here on earth for us to ever reach heaven. And if we're not so in love with him and so amused by him and having this amazing journey with him, why would he want us with him for forever? I mean, really, why do we really want to be there for forever if we can't gaze on him now? Because we're only asking to gaze, you know, not for forever. But we can't grasp that here. Yet we're just so anxious to get to heaven, but for what? To miss hell? Is that our only motivation for heaven? Or is it really to always be in his presence? But if his presence is what I want, then why don't I gain it now? Why don't I fight for his presence now? So what's required for all this to come to fruition? 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3 says, So be done with every trace of wickedness, depravity, malignity, and all deceit and insincerity, pretense, hypocrisy, and grudges, envy, jealousy, and slander, and evil speaking of every kind. Like newborn babes, you should crave, thirst for, earnestly desire, the pure, unadulterated spiritual milk, that by it you may be nurtured and grow unto completed salvation, since you have already tasted the goodness and the kindness of the Lord. So the milk of the word must be sincere, not adulterated by the mixtures of men, who often corrupt the word of God. Since we are newly born, we must desire the milk of the word. Infants desire common milk. It is frequent. They are impatient. They are passionate about receiving it. It arises from this deep hunger that is within them. For their thought is, if I don't gain it now, I may die, which is why they go through all the antics they must go through in order to get it. They give their best endeavors. Christians must have the same desires for the word of God so that they may grow thereby, that they may improve in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. If we have a strong desire and affection to the word of God, we have evidence of our being born again. Is your desire for the word comparable to a newborn baby desiring for its milk? This simple desire for milk is the lowest evidence of birth, but it is evidence. A lot of times we have taken in the word, but we were never nurtured and we never grew. Now, many of us, when we first got saved, we were like, feed me the word, show me what it's about. But somehow we got comfy with someone else feeding us. We got comfy with what they wanted to feed us. And we didn't take it any further. Now, many of us in 10, 15 years, we are in the same position almost when we first got saved as far as the knowledge that we have of God. The personal, deep, intimate knowledge that we were supposed to gain constantly. 
The word was here to transform us. But we have yet to see real growth and improvement in wisdom and in grace. The word of God rightly used does not leave a man as it finds him, but improves and makes him better. Now, we are not just talking about getting rid of behavioral sins. We know we must get rid of those. But the sins of the heart and the mind as well, the ones we really don't see, the ones we can carry and cover and nobody really knows about how foul we really are. You notice that the sins that were listed were the sins that are of the heart and of the mind. We often can clean up the behavioral stuff and stay fully committed to the foulness of our heart and mind. We don't transform the heart and the mind. We just transform our outward being. We may stop the drinking and smoking and sexing, but still I am full of my deceit and my anger and my jealousy and my envy and my foulness. And I think it's okay because no one knows it and no one sees it. but he wants total transformation. Now, when we dissect the word, we see that God has fully equipped us with what we need to gain ground. We have all read these scriptures, I'm not like coming with something new, about the armor of God, that he gave it to us to protect us from slipping and falling. But in Matthew 6 and 33, it says, but seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all his kingdom, and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. And then all these things taken together will be given to you as well. That's the Amplified Version. If we seek him, the answers will be given. So let's look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. And I'm reading the Amplified Version here too. It's great clarity. So it says in conclusion, be strong in the Lord, be empowered through your union with him, Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the depositions, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the, ru the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spirit forces of wickedness and the heavenly supernatural fear. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all, the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. Two times he tells us to put on the whole complete armor of God. We need to fully understand who we are fighting and what the weapons are. We can quote the armor, but do we wear the armor? As Christians, we face three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The, wor the world, excuse me, refers to the system around us that is opposed to God, that caters to the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Society apart from God is a simple but accurate definition of the world. The flesh 
is the old nature that we inherited from Adam, a nature that is opposed to God and can do nothing spiritual to please God. But by his death and resurrection, Christ overcame the world and the flesh and the devil. In other words, as believers, we do not fight for victory, but we are fighting from victory. The victory is already ours, for we are already more than conquerors. The Spirit of God enables us by faith to appropriate Christ's victory for ourselves. The enemy has many different names. Devil, which means accuser, because he accuses God's people day and night before the throne of God. Satan, it means adversary, because he is the enemy of God. He is also called the tempter and the murderer and the liar. He is compared to a lion, a serpent, and an angel of light, as well as the God of this age. We must know which way Satan is coming at us. What name is he using to try to defeat us? Is he accusing me, challenging me, tempting me, trying to murder me, or is he telling me a lie? Or is he seeking to devour me as a lion, slithering towards me as a serpent, or trying to act like a saint, or just being himself as the God of this age? Unless we know who the enemy is, where he is, and what he can do, we have a difficult time defeating him. Not only in Ephesians 6, but throughout the entire Bible, God instructs us about the enemy. So there is no reason for us to get caught off guard. Yet we still continually get caught off guard. So Charles B. Williams translates verse 12. It says, for our contest is not with human foes alone, but with the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of the dark world. That is with the spirit forces of evil challenging us in the heavenly contest. This suggests a definite army of demonic creatures that assist Satan in his attacks against the believers. The apostle John hinted that one third of the angels fell with Satan when he rebelled against God. And Daniel wrote that Satan's angels struggle against God's angels for control of the affairs of the nations. A spiritual battle is going on in this world. And in the sphere of the heavenlies, and you and I are a part of this battle. The devil knows his end and he is not going down without a fight. And we are his chief opponents. Knowing this makes walking in victory a vitally important thing to us and to God. The advice Paul gave indicates that Satan is a strong enemy and that we need the power of God to be able to stand against him. Never underestimate the power of the devil. He is not compared to a lion and a dragon for nothing. The book of Job tells what his power can do to a man's body, home, wealth, and friends. Jesus calls Satan a thief who comes to steal and kill and to destroy. Not only is Satan strong, but he is wise and subtle and we fight against the wiles of the devil. So the wiles mean cunning, crafty, crafty arts and ploys. 
he's a little smarter than what we give him credit for. We think he's coming in ways and he's not even in that. He's just slipping in and has fooled a great majority of the good church folks every week. Some men are cunning and crafty. We all have had a taste of a few of them. But behind them is an arch deceiver. He masquerades as an angel of light and seeks to blind men's minds to the truth of God's word. When we see men as trees and we tie them to God and not see God for who he is, we have been deceived. That's a ploy of Satan. When I put all of my salvation in a man and I put all of my getting close to Jesus in a man, I have been deceived. Because the moment that man wavers or falls or goes the wrong way, there I go. And even though many of us say we don't do that, so many of us are so tied to a building that the majority of our walk with God is tied to a building. That we have lost intimacy, we have lost the personalness that God wanted us to have with him. We were supposed to come together as fellowship, as a beautiful time, but that was supposed to be a mere tip of the iceberg. Your relationship was to be built everywhere else, but we have built it completely in four walls and we have not taken it any further. I can barely get a prayer through at home because I don't have the organ and I don't have the drums and I don't have somebody yelling at me. And because I don't know what the presence is and because I don't know when he's entered the room, I sit at home and I'm like, well, where are you? And sometimes he's just still and quiet, seeing will you keep running for me even when you're not here. Because when we first start this journey of being just me and Jesus, just me finding him. He sits there for a moment and he says, are you really going to come after me? Because it's not going to look like nothing you've ever done before. It's going to be different. It's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to make you fight and I'll make you run after me. And how far will you go? Will you stop the first time? Will you just touch it and just keep running and say, but I tried. And then I just go back to work as usual. I know how to get it going when I get in the building, so that home stuff I'm going to leave alone. It doesn't have as many benefits. The fact that Paul uses the word wrestle indicates that we are involved in a hand-to-hand -hand battle and not mere spectators at a game. Satan wants to use our external enemy, the world, and our internal enemy, the flesh, to defeat us. His weapons and battle plans are dreadful, but we have been given an armor to protect us. As long as we continue to not put on the entire armor, we will fall victim to Satan and his allies. So let's further examine what the armor is, where we are to wear it, and what it means to accomplish, what it's meant to accomplish, excuse me. So Ephesians 6. We're going to do 14 through 17. It says, stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins, and having put on the breastplate of integrity and of moral rectitude and right standing with God, and having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news 
of the gospel of peace. Lift up over all the covering, shield of saving faith, upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword that the spirit wields, which is the word of God. So I'm gonna dissect each piece of armor. We have the belt of truth, which is to be worn around your loins. Now your loins are the part of your body between your hips and your lower ribs. It is regarded as the seat of physical strength and generative power. Your genital region is in this area. This can represent the fact that the amount of truth you live in is going to be the amount of truth you birth. Remember, we are to be dying daily and being raised again. What is being killed and rebirthed in you daily? Is it truth or a lie? Are you dying to the old man and allowing God to raise you up into the newness of life, or are you being slain by Satan and being raised again in your vileness? The opposite of truth is a lie. So either you are in truth or you are in a lie. Before a Roman soldier put on his armor, he put a belt around his waist. This held his garments together and served as a place on which to hang his armor. The belt of truth refers not to the facts of the gospel, but to the subjective personal truth, a believer's integrity and faithfulness. As a soldier's belt or sash gave ease and freedom of movement, so truth gives freedom with self, with God, and with others. So what is your truth? Are you living in your truth? Are you in pursuit of your truth, of what God has for you that is just yours, that he has designed for you at birth? Do you know that truth? Or have you been just conformed to the church and you don't know anything about what God has for you to do? If you live in truth and you embody the truth of God, then you can move with ease and freedom. John 8 and 32 says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. A man of integrity with a clear conscience can face the enemy without fear. The girdle also held the sword. Unless we practice the truth, we cannot use the word of truth. For there is nowhere for it to hang. We have been throwing out scriptures but not living in the truth of them. And we wonder why they have no power. No power in our lives, no power against Satan. Remember the devil is a tempter. But if you constantly live in your truth, his temptations lose their power. I am easily led astray when I do not know who I am. I have to stand in truth. When I am standing and walking in truth, then I defeat Satan as a tempter. You just took one of his names. We then have the breastplate of righteousness. Going back to the Roman soldier, this piece of armor was made of metal plates of chains. It covered the body from the neck to the waist, both front and back. It symbolizes the believer's righteousness in Christ 
as well as his righteous life in Christ. Satan is the accuser, but he cannot accuse the believer who is living a godly life in the power of the Spirit. The life we live either fortifies us against Satan's attacks or makes it easier for him to defeat us. When Satan accuses the Christian, it is the righteousness of Christ that assures the believer of his salvation. But our positional righteousness in Christ without practical righteousness in daily life only gives Satan opportunity to attack us. When we live in integrity and pureness of heart, then I nullify him as an accuser. I just took another one of his names. Then we have the shoes of the gospel of peace. The Roman soldier wore sandals and hobnails in the soles to give him better footing for the battle. So I'ma stand back and just wait, cause I want y'all with me for forever. See, that's beautiful. I mean, that's a heck of a lot of love. To say I'ma hold back my very desire to let what I created, the whole plan, it would then come to complete fruition when we get to heaven and he's holding back his own pleasure. Cause that's how much he wants me in heaven. That's amazing stuff. And we acting like we don't need to work. Let's work so we can get there. No need to fear because he doesn't want me to perish. He will present to me what needs to be done so that I will be with him. If I walk in the gospel of peace, then I'm able to challenge the adversary, for I cannot fall or stumble with these shoes on. There is no more challenge, for I am prepared by the gospel. I stay in constant repentance, and I live at peace. I just took another one of his names. Then we have the shield of faith. The shield was large, usually about four feet, by two feet, made of wood and covered with tough leather. As the soldier held it before him, it protected him from spears, arrows, and fiery darts. The edges of these shields were so constructed that an entire line of soldiers could interlock shields and march into the enemy like a solid wall. This suggests that we Christians are not in the battle alone. This is why it is so powerful when we come together, faith touching faith. Leviticus 26 and eight, five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000 and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. So one person can chase 20. Say if we had 40 in this room, we could then defeat 800. But if we get a hundred, we can then defeat 10,000. And we pride ourselves as being loners. This may be why we keep falling. We need each other. Remember, God is a God of intimacy, not just with him, but with others. Find some good people to walk this journey with. We need this faith touching faith so we can defeat Satan. Now, the faith mentioned here is not the faith that saved us, but rather living faith. 
a trust in the promises and the power of God. Faith is a defense weapon which protects us from Satan's fiery darts. In Paul's day, arrows dipped in some inflammable substance and ignited were shot at the enemy. Satan shoots fiery darts at our hearts and minds, lies, blasphemous thoughts, hateful thoughts about others, doubts, fears. They will light a fire within and we will disobey God. We never know when Satan will shoot a dart at us. So we must always walk by faith and use the shield of faith. The beauty of the shield is that you can move in all different ways and protect yourself. If Satan comes behind on the side straight in your face, you can use your faith to defeat him. This is why it says in Hebrews 11 and 6, but without faith it is impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him. How diligently are you seeking him? How earnestly do you want him? Because that goes to how much faith you really have. In Matthew 17 and 20, he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, that is the lack of firmly relying trust. For truly I say to you, if you have faith that is living, like a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to yonder place, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible. Why do we live lives of such impossibleness when nothing is supposed to be impossible to us? Satan's darts are trying to murder us, but our faith extinguishes these darts, and again, we take another one of his names. Then we have the helmet of salvation. Satan wants to attack the mind, the way he defeated Eve. The helmet refers to the mind controlled by God. It is too bad that many Christians have the idea that intellect is not important, when in reality it plays a vital role in Christian growth, service, and victory. When God controls the mind, Satan cannot lead the believer astray. The Christian who studies his Bible and learns the meaning of Bible doctrines is not going to be led astray too easily. We are so used to cliches, half-spoken scriptures that are not even in the Bible. Truly, when I started this, I was looking up stuff. That stuff ain't even in there. It's half-quoted, it's mixed together. But we can rumble it off. We just, we don't even know what we're talking about. Because we haven't got the knowledge. We're just ignorant. And we're so full of ourselves. You know, we're so excited that we got the oneness, that we're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, and we think we're just the smartest little Christians living. What else do we know about God? Who he is? What he wants for us? It's a lot to learn. Move on. Find some new stuff. Find out what the truth of the scriptures are. It's so plain and easy and right there in our face. I'm so amazed how simple it is. And a little upset. 
people. And I should know this. Been in this mess all my life, and this is good Lord. Okay. So we need to be taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. We are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, the Spirit came to teach us all things. Salvation is supposed to be continual and never-ending until we reach the promised land. If we are educated in the Word and taught by Jesus through the Spirit, then Satan cannot lie to us. For every lie he tells us, we come back with the truth. And we have then taken another one of his names. The belt of truth defeated him as tempter. The breastplate of righteousness defeated him as accuser. The shoes of the gospel defeated him as adversary. And the shield of faith defeated him as murderer. Lastly, the helmet of salvation defeated him as a liar. Now you tell me we can't take this mountain. All we had to do was put on the armor. But we've been quoting the scripture not knowing what the armor was supposed to do. But then God wanted to assure us that we really have the ability to defeat Satan. So he gives us one more weapon. Lastly, we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is the offensive weapon God provides us. The woman soldier wore his girdle a short, sorry, wore on his girdle a short sword which was used for closed-in fighting. Hebrews 4 and 12 compares the word of God to a sword because it is sharp and able to pierce the inner man just as a material sword pierces the body. You and I were cut to the heart when the word convicted us of our sins. A material sword pierces the body, but the word of God pierces the heart. The more you use a physical sword, the duller it becomes. But using God's word only makes it sharper in our lives. That's why we got to know it. Not half of it, not a, you know, mixture of it, but what it's really saying. A physical sword requires the hand of a soldier, but the sword of the spirit has its own power for it is living and powerful. The Spirit wrote the Word, and the Spirit exercises the Word as we take it by faith and use it. A physical sword wounds to hurt and kill, while the sword of the Spirit wounds to heal and give life. But when we use the sword against Satan, we are out to deal him a blow that will cripple him and keep him from hindering God's work. The better you know the word of God, the easier it will be for you to detect Satan's lies and reject his offers. So the sword is going to be used when he comes at us as a lion, as a dragon, as a serpent, and even as a false prophet. This completed armor is what is needed to defeat all of Satan's tricks and schemes. We are no longer ignorant of his devices. We shall defeat him. In one sense, the whole armor of God is a picture of Jesus Christ. Christ is the truth. He is our righteousness and our peace. His faithfulness makes our faith possible. He is our salvation, and he is the word of God. This means that when we trusted Christ, we received the armor. By faith, we put on the armor, and now we have to trust God 
for the victory. But there must be a daily appropriation. We are never out of Satan's reach of his devices that he is trying to kill us. So we must never be without the whole armor of God. So what part of the armor are you not wearing? Why have you chosen to forfeit this article? Please realize that when we do not put on the whole armor, we are not representing Christ. And in essence, we do not know him. For Christ in the armor comes along with it. Find Jesus, who he is, what he's all about. You will be protected. Isn't that something? We do not have to be defeated. We are equipped for the battle. He that is in us is greater than he that is in this world. Never forget that Jesus has already rendered the devil defeated and he stole his keys. Satan trembles at the very name of Jesus. When we can put our complete trust in him, all we have to say is Jesus and the devil is defeated. For Jesus is the whole armor of God. Isn't that something? Isn't that, I know. I was a little impressed last night while I was typing. I was like, well, this is something else. Because I was a little nervous when I first started. It was just going to really come together in the way I hoped and planned. But there it is. So make sure you guys have the list of what you're defeating. So you know what this is all about. Know why you're wearing what you're wearing. Know the meaning behind it so that you can execute it the way God has given it to us to execute. This is the beauty of the word. Everything we need is right there in our face. Any one of us can pick it up and find it. Any one of us can get up here and say these words. We are all supposed to be saying these words and knowing them. We are all ministers of Christ. What do you know? Know it. Find it. See, I did good. I took the script.